So guys, uh, if it's your first time here, I'm so pleased to, to meet you. Hopefully to talk to you afterwards. My name is Cole uh, Parlier. I'm associate pastor by the grace of God at Second City Church. The accent is from North Carolina. I see new faces in here, so I just needed to tell you now because people always ask that. Uh, I've been here about eight years, going on eight years. July will be. Um, uh, eight years here in Chicago, and then Second City Church has been here for seven years. So thank you for joining us today. We're starting a new, new series called Mercy, Mercy Me. So Pastor Ryan and I were talking, praying, and uh, this is named, uh, like in accordance with, uh, I think it's Marvin Gaye's song, Mercy, Mercy Me. And to be honest with you, even though Ron and I are like best friends, we come from two completely different cultures. And so I'd never really like heard the song. So I was like, yeah, we're going to name it after that. I had to go back and listen to the song because <laughs> I was going to try to like sing part of this one, but it ain't happening. <laughs> it ain't happening, guys. It is not happening. I cannot do that. I'll just have to be me uh, this morning. Uh, but part one is titled, very simple. This is not a complex message right? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I don't want you to leave here puffed up today. I want you to leave here built up in the mercy of God, okay? And so today's message is simply God's mercy for me. Or we can throw a adjective in there. God's marvelous mercy for me. God displays divine mercy, which is different than human mercy, okay? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And as I was praying, there was one scripture that came up over and over. So if we can either turn to Exodus. Oh, actually, let me get my, my timer going here too. Okay, so if we can go to Exodus, starting in chapter 33, verse 12. And I want to grab your attention for just a minute before we actually go to the scripture, because what we're about to read, there's a long story in history that I'm going to try to summarize so that you can understand the context and also the gravity of what is talked about right here. Okay? So, any of you Bible students know, or anybody that's been reading the Bible, you know that God chose a man, his name was Abraham, and he made promises to this man, Abraham, because the rest of the world had gone astray. He said, Abraham, I choose you, and I'm going to create a nation out of you. Your descendants will number more than the stars of the sky and the sea of the seashore, and then... God continued to reiterate that promise over and over and over through the generations. You've heard the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, or Jacob's name got changed when he wrestled with God to Israel. And so, up until this part in Exodus, we see the story unfolding little by little, God's faithfulness, first to a man and his wife and one child that they had, and then to um, to um, Isaac and his wife, and then we finally get to Jacob, and Jacob has 12 children. Wow, explosion. Okay, it looks like the plan is starting to move forward. My, my hope in God's faithfulness and in his promises 
is starting to, to grow a little bit. But you've got to remember, this is over the course of three generations that we're talking about. You and I, we're stuck in our own little, um, uh, our own little viewpoint here. Okay? But then what happens is God had also prophesied so that the people could be prepared of what was going to come so they would not grow faint and lose the faith. He said that, Abraham, your descendants, they're going to become slaves for 470 years. They're going to go down to Egypt. and But don't worry while they're down there because I'm going to multiply them. And they're going to grow. And then they're going to cry out to me. And I'm going to set them free when they cry out for mercy because of their slave drivers. So God is building this story. So what happens is, you know the story about Joseph. He gets sold into slavery by his, by his 11 brothers. He goes down to Egypt. He ends up, by miracles, assisting Pharaoh. and ends up becoming second in charge, in command there. He's basically running the country. He, uh, he uh, saves the country from a famine that is happening. And so all of Egypt is blessed because of God because of a man getting sold into slavery, and that's already the beginning of a redemptive plan that we see there, right? But then, what happens? Joseph dies. All the people that had been blessed, they forget that the reason they were blessed was because of this man, Joseph, and they, another pharaoh comes into power who doesn't know Joseph or the stories of Joseph and God's deliverance through him, and then the Israelites began to be more and more um, sold in, into slavery. They went to serve the Egyptian people. And this goes on for 470 years, basically. Okay, okay. And Moses comes along, right? Another redemptive story here. I'm going to try to speed this up. <laughs> Moses goes along, comes along, and he says, well, I'm going to save these people because they're my, they're my people. Uh, but he does it in the flesh, not in the spirit. He ends up killing uh, killing an Egyptian, somebody finds out. He's like, oh no, I'm going to get found out for murder. So he flees. He goes off into the desert. He's out there. Uh, he's out there for 40 years. And then God appears to him. He says, now is the time. Now is the time. You took it into your own hands, but now is the time. I'm going to send you back, and I'm going to get my people, and I'm going to use you to do it. Moses puts up all this fight, all this fuss about it. I can't do it. I can't speak. So God gives him his brother Aaron and says, I'm going to do it uh, with him through you. So God does signs, wonders, miracles, plagues, seven plagues that you guys know about. And he eventually sets his people free. Before he sets his people free, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and ask all of the Egyptians, all of your neighbors, I want you to ask them for gold. I want you to ask them for silver, and I want you to ask them for clothing. And in this way, you're going to plunder your slave drivers, because I'm going to give you favor with the people who were your slave drivers. And then you're going to go out into freedom, into the promised land I'm going to bring you into, having plundered those that you uh, were once in slavery to. Now, what I realized for the first time was that, oh, Moses, later on at Mount Sinai, was up on a mountain, and God's giving him all these plans about how to build the tabernacle. Do you guys remember this? Can I get some nods? Yeah? And the tabernacle, as you know, was supposed to be the place that the Israelites were going to come, and they were going to worship God because God was going to dwell with his people. 
all of this deliverance, all of this faithfulness, all of these promises was because God not only wanted a people, but he wanted to be with his people. He wanted to be present with them. What do we learn, at least from this little part, is that when God sets us free from something, it's because he wants to be with you. He's not setting you free or me free to just run wild on our own to do what we want to do. He desires you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you like he did with Moses as a man talks face to face with his friend. So he gave them by grace. What have we been talking about for six weeks? Grace. All the different aspects. But regardless, grace is getting what you don't deserve. You didn't work for it. God, for his own purposes, gives you grace for what he wants to do. So God said, plunder these people by asking them for gold, silver, and clothing. And then you're going to use these things to build the place where I'm going to dwell with you and worship. Okay, you got that? Okay, grace, gifts, they got it. Okay, Moses is up on the mountain. Guess what happens while he's up on the mountain? Moses, oh, somebody said it. He's up on the mountain for 40 days, and the people are in the desert. They grow weary. They had just saw, saw all these signs, miracles, and wonders, all this amazing grace poured out because God wants them free and wants to be with them. And if you're in here and you know Jesus, that is your story. That is my story. Amazing grace. But how quickly do we forget what God has done for us? And that's why we need to talk about the mercy of God. So they forgot. They gang up on Aaron, who was in the wilderness with them. And they said, Aaron, we don't know what happened to this Moses guy. He's disappeared. So we want you to make gods for us. Wow, can you believe that? Right after all these signs, miracles, and wonders, they immediately want to go back into idolatry, to worship not the creator, but the creation. And so Aaron struggling with fear and some cowardice, even though he had seen all these things too, he gives in and he says, okay, give me all of your gold ornaments. What did God give them to build a tabernacle? He gave them all these gifts, right? These gracious gifts so that he could build a place with the gifts that he gave for them to dwell with him, that he could be among them. He would be their God. And they would be his people. But because of fear, wondering what God was doing, and with our short lifespans, <laughs> with goldfish memories, I like to say, they did not wait for the plan. They took the gifts and fashioned a golden calf and began to worship this instead of the living God. When I read this, I immediately started thinking about all these gracious gifts that God had given me and all the times, which is bound to happen, all the times I had taken them and did not, did not use them to further the relationship with God to obey him, but use them to build idols in my life. And so I started thinking about, thinking about this message of marvelous, of this amazing grace, and how that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. We just, we've just had a mountaintop experience, talking about the goodness of God, the grace of God, and now the propensity would be, as we're learning to wait on God, the enemy will try to get us to do something else with all this knowledge 
that we've just gone, oh, God is for me. God is not against me. Oh, everything I put in my hand to will prosper. You know how we take these verses, right? And we begin to do our own things with them. But we need to wait for God's plan sometimes. We need to get into his word. We need to get onto our knees. And we need to hear from him what we're supposed to do with these gifts. And so, moving on from there, they, they build this calf. They begin to worship it. And Aaron boldly tells them, boldly presents the calf after he's fashioned it with his hands. And he tells them, O Israelites, here is your God who led you out of Egypt. That was wrong, right? And so Aaron had joined in. And so they worshipped it. They began to eat. They began to drink. And then they got up to party. And I'm not talking about like the holy party. We're talking about like revelry, right? We're talking about the pagan parties, the drinking and all the things that go along with that. We don't have to talk about it on Sunday morning. And then Moses, while having his meeting up on the mountain, He's getting the plans on how to build the tabernacle, how to consecrate it to make sure it's a place where God can come and dwell with them. He's getting the, the commandments for the priestly garments up there so that the priests can always be representing the Israelites before God so that they can have a healthy relationship. God's being properly worshipped and they're receiving all the benefits of being in communion with God. And then God stops the meeting. He says, hey, you need to go, you need to go down there. They've taken, they've taken this into their own hands, and they've started to worship idols after I just did all this. So it says that God burned with anger. But when I read that as well, what we need to understand is that God is a jealous God for his people. And when he burns with anger, it's, it's very similar to us. When, when we burn with anger, really, like, our heart is broken, right? Like, it's mixed in with sadness as well. Like, ah, oh, how could you do this? Not that it surprised God, because he's God, he knew, but his heart was still broken, and he was angry. And he tells Moses, all right, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over, and I'm just going to use you. Moses couldn't be like, okay, as long as I'm good, <laughs> we're fine, right? But he didn't. He interceded, he pleaded, and he told God, God, I, please, please forgive them. Please forgive them. I'll go down there. Please, we we, we cannot go up into the promised land unless you're with us. You have to be with us. We just don't want your gifts. We want you, right? So what I realized here is that he thinks that he's wiser than God. He's more merciful than God, right? And the guy's like, okay, that's fine. So he goes down there. He takes the Ten Commandments. He's like, okay, we're going to start over. I'm going to talk to the Israelites. We're going to get back on track. And he gets down there, and he hears the, he hears the sound of singing, and then he sees the calf, and he sees what's happening. He throws the Ten Commandments down in anger, just like God. Just like God. He was not more merciful than God. He was, he was mad, too. And then he um, grinds up the golden calf. He's like, we're done with this, guys. He leads them. They, uh, he makes them drink the gold dust out of it. And then, unfortunately, there's a plague that breaks out in the camp as well. All of that for the context of what we're getting ready to read here. Moses tells them, your sin is great. Your sin is great. In order for us to come to the most merciful one there's ever been, it all starts with a revelation that he's holy and our sin has been great. This is not a unique story to the Israelites. This is, this is humanity, right? 
This is me. This is you. This is our salvation story if you know Christ. You one day have a revelation because the light comes that, oh, I've been separated from God, living my own way, taking every breath, every heartbeat, doing what I want to do. Oh, no. Can I, can I share with you guys uh, my, my testimony real quick? So when I was 25 years old, I was in my apartment. I had just filed bankruptcy. But the reason I filed bankruptcy is for eight years, I had not done what God had called me to do. And this was just a symptom of disobedience. It wasn't the bankruptcy. It was the symptom of not surrendering my heart to the living God. That night, God had mercy on me in my apartment. And because I was hard-hearted, nobody could talk to me. My parents had tried to talk to me. Other people had said, you've not only like, ruined your financial life, you've ruined all your relationships. And I just, I just wouldn't have any of it. So I finally was broken enough to get down on my knees and at least pray that night. And God showed me a picture of a hand. And I saw a hand. Uh, it was a human hand, and there was a heart in the hand. And the heart was a beating heart, just like a human heart, right? And so this heart was pumping. You want to know why it was pumping? It's because the hand was slowly pumping it. That's the mercy of God, right? But then, because I realized I was a sinner, all of a sudden I had this imagination of the hand in anger just popping it. I felt helpless for the first time. But then secondly, I had this imagination of God just saying, okay, you can just go your own way. I'm not angry. I'm just going to distance myself from you. And the hand went limp. And guess what? My heart didn't beat anymore. I was a dead man. Either way, whether in God's anger or if he just removed his presence from me, altogether, I was a dead man. So that was the first time I realized my great sin before God, of going my own way. But then I had the opportunity to realize the great mercy of God. And that's what's getting ready to happen here. Okay, let's read. All right. Exodus 33, starting verse 12. Moses is up on the mountain. God has told him to go take the Israelites into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up the people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is scared because he knows he needs God's presence for them to come into the life that he's called him into. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So Moses is saying, I need you, but we need you as well. He knows he can't go alone. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. Here we go. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock 
and while my glory passes by, I will put you a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back and face. My face shall not be seen. And then going on from there, the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourselves two tablets of stone. And this is redemption, guys. The point of this that we're talking about right now is that even though that was probably the most epic failure of receiving God's grace and then using it for something else that's recorded, you are never too far gone for God's mercy. Without God's mercy, there is no grace. Without him choosing to come to us by having mercy on us, any amount of grace will be of no avail. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourselves two talents of stone like the first, so a do-over, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> so he reminded him, like, still, uh, be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the most important thing here, friends, is that The Lord is about to preach his own sermon. Not Cole, not Rollin. This is the Lord saying who he is in this next part. Okay? This is basically him saying, this, this is my DNA. This is who I am. You can plead with me. You, you can do all of this, but I need you to know, if we're going to continue to walk together, this is who I am. This must be ingrained in your heart and in your spirit. And if it's not there yet, that's okay. But I want to get it there. And here's what he said to Moses as he passed by. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. What was the first thing he said when describing himself? Merciful. This is the foundation of a relationship with the living God. And there's no greater mercy than what we've seen on the cross. And he's gracious. It's two sides of the same coin. Slow to anger. There are some people in here, and this has been me and that's how I know, that you think once God has saying, okay, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, I'm going to help you. At some point, it may not be immediately, but at some point you think it's on your own to finish what he started. And then you don't ask for help. You don't ask for mercy on a daily basis. And then you get so far gone, you don't feel like you can come back and ask for mercy where you've blew it. But he's slow to anger. Slow to anger. He's always waiting for us to come back and ask for help, no matter how far you've gone, how long you've been living your life without him. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. That's talking about generations. 
he will fulfill what he has started. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and sin, and take us for your inheritance. So what Moses is doing here, for the first time, if you read back through Genesis, through Exodus, any time Moses is interacting with the Lord, right here when he realizes that God has proclaimed that he's merciful, he's gracious, he heard it from God himself. This is the first time Moses is recording as having worshipped God. Wow. All the signs, all the miracles, all the grace. But when he knew that they deserved death, hell, separation, but then God says, no, I'm a God who has mercy. I'm a God who forgives sins. That was the first time that led him to worship Wow, right? All the grace, all the miracles, but the first time to worship was when he realized the mercy of God. So the point in this long-winded talk, the point is this. God's mercy is an everlasting mercy. His mercy always leads us to worship him. If you're not worshiping him freely, you haven't freely received his mercy, or you don't know that it's there. It is his mercy that makes way for his presence. I'll say it again. It is his mercy that makes way for his presence to dwell with you and I. Why? Because if we have not asked God for mercy, we're probably dealing with self-righteousness and we don't think we need his mercy. And that God can't dwell there. The Holy Spirit can't dwell. We have no place for Jesus and what he's done in our life if we're not asking for mercy and for help on a regular basis. We can't have God without calling for his mercy because he is also holy and just. We can't walk in his amazing grace without first receiving his marvelous mercy by faith. His mercies are new every morning because, you guys remember in Lamentations, it says that his mercies are new every morning. You know why his mercies are new every morning? It's very simple. Because we need it every morning, right? It's not a one-time event. Every day, we just don't need his grace, but we need his mercy. His mercy is new every morning because that's how often we need mercy as we are being made like Jesus each day. Everyone who endeavors to walk with Jesus needs daily mercy because he's holy. And we're in process until he returns or calls us home. If you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus today, oh, he's calling you. There's so much mercy that's there. He wants you to know that just like the Israelites who thought that they had completely blown it because he said, you're a stiff-necked people, you're obstinate, I'm not going to go with you. But then when they asked for mercy, Moses did it for them. He said, no, I'll go with you, Right? If he did it for them, he'll do it for us. He will. Or, today, if you've been walking with Jesus, 
and this was my story as well. Like, I grew up in the church. I was in the Bible Belt South, right? I was at church every Sunday, every Wednesday, well, Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then Wednesday night, because we had a building that wasn't in a school, so we could be there a lot, right? I got puffed up with knowledge, and so what I would say is, man, I've, I've known about Jesus so long, I must be walking with Jesus, I should know better than this, I've just got to figure this out. There's no mercy left for me, because, because I know better. Has anybody else ever been here with that? Okay. It's not true. It's not true. When you come to Christ, you are being sanctified day by day, day by day. You're saved once. There's a moment of repentance and faith in Jesus where you're turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, and you're born again, and it's a one-time miracle. But from there forward, the enemy of your soul who came to kill, steal, and destroy will try to get you to take it into your own hands. But it's not true. Mercy every day. A byproduct, byproduct of asking for mercy every day is the one thing that pleases the Lord, and that's humility. Because God exalts the humble and opposes the proud. So as we're asking for mercy, humility is being built in us, and that's something that God can work with. We're almost done. Um, I meant to go over this with you at the first. Please forgive my scatteredness. Um, mercy defined, according to the New Oxford American Dictionary, is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone with whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And so because God is sovereign He's the only one that can give, like, true, lasting, divine mercy, right? So even if somebody else, you ask for forgiveness for mercy and they don't give it, it's okay. If you get right with God, he'll give it. Another interesting thing I wanted to point out, too, because it, it all comes down to God's presence. That's why he wants you to know he's so merciful, because he just wants to be with you, and he can't that there's not humility and a need for mercy there. So even, even the mighty man Moses, who was a Christ figure uh, to us, you know, who told us to look for the prophet to come after him, who was Jesus, the Son of God, even him, when they were building the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, so the Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place in the tabernacle where God's presence was, and they, they built it, and then they put the testimony into it, so the Ten Commandments, and then the um, the staff that budded, showing you know who God had given leadership to. So it was all these things, just reminding them of God's grace and His His love toward them and His deliverance power. And the thing they they put on top of it to cover the testimony was called the mercy seat. And I learned for the first time here. You guys may already know this, but. The word mercy, the word that's translated uh, in our Bibles, mercy, is kaporth in Hebrew. And the literal translation of mercy is covering. So God just wants to be your covering. If you're already walking them and you have a testimony, he just wants to cover your testimony and keep you until he returns. Of course, he wants you to grow in grace, but his mercy wants to cover you. And the powerful thing there, too, was is the Bible says that when Moses and God were talking together, 
that the voice emanated from in between the two cherubim over the mercy seat. So mercy is the atmosphere in which you can hear God's voice. If you feel like you haven't been able to hear God clearly, maybe you need to ask him to search your heart and see where you need mercy at, right? And then he'll give you mercy, he'll talk to you, and then he'll remind you of the gospel. So on that night when I was born again, when I realized that, oh no, if God removes his hand, I'm dead. If he actually acts out what is just, and like just stops my heart, I'm dead. That was the first time I remembered the gospel of Jesus. That he came to show mercy to sinners who didn't even know they needed it. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, it says Christ died for us, we could say, God showed his mercy in Christ on us and came for us. So if you've been mad at God, thinking that he hasn't been with you, he doesn't care, the truth is you don't see the whole picture. He has been showing his mercy in ways that you don't even realize. And when you begin to ask him for it, when you come to the mercy seat of Christ, his throne of grace where he dispenses mercy and help in our time of need. So if you ever feel like you have a need, that's a great time to come and ask for the mercy and begin to start hearing his voice again. Okay, takeaway points. Number one, you should at least leave knowing these things today. Uh, and the worship team can come up if you want, because we're about done. Number one, God is rich in mercy just because it's who he is. Just because it's who he is. It's in his DNA. He's rich in mercy for the spiritually dead as well, the Bible says. According to Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, went, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the heirs, talking about Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we're all in the same boat, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Sin is not just what you do with your body, it's what you do with your mind as well. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, but God, mercy intervenes sometimes, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love. Why does God show mercy? Because of his great love. Because he loves you. He doesn't have to do it. He wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants to show you mercy. You just have to realize that there's justice that has to be served on the cross as well. But he wants to show it to you. Number two, God's mercy is not just for the spiritually dead, but number two, God's mercy is for the faithful. We're not going to read it. We don't have time. But I want you to go read the story of Peter. He saw Jesus on the water, and he's like, Jesus, if that's you, call me to you. Because Peter's like always impetuous, right? Wanted to do the crazy faith stuff. And Jesus is like, all right, come to me. So Peter gets out of the boat. He's the only one that walks on the water. But you know what? He's also the only one that sank and said, Lord, save me! I'm sinking! 
And what did Jesus do? It says immediately he reached out his hand and had mercy on him, picked him up, and they went back to the boat. So his mercy is for you when you're stepping out in faith as well, just to do what he's called you to do. Not even just for salvation from your sin. Number three, God's mercy is for the physically broken. God's mercy is for the physically broken. Blind Bartimaeus, we're not going to go there again, but it's Mark 10. There's this man on the side of the road. He's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he gets louder and louder. Finally, Jesus says, bring him up. They bring him up. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. I don't want to be blind anymore. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. His mercy is for the physically broken as well. Number four, his mercy is not for those who trust in themselves. The only one I came across which was super clear is when the Pharisee and the tax collector are both in the temple together. And you can look it up and read it in... um, Uh, Luke 18, the Pharisees thanking God for how good he is and how, how much grace he displays in his own life. He's self-righteous. And then it talks about a tax collector who comes into the temple and says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus is very clear. And he said, the one that walked away justified before God, that day was the tax collector. So the only thing that can keep us from receiving mercy unto grace is self-righteousness. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us this mercy, this great mercy. We're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to take communion, and then we're going to praise God as we head out. But if you need prayer, there's going to be prayer counselors right back here behind the curtain who would love to pray with you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for just a treasure trove in your word, so much more than could ever be gone through this morning in this time, Lord. And I know it didn't come out super clear, but Lord, you can make all things clear. That is truth. And so, Father, we pray that right now, each heart in these seats, including my heart, Lord, and those who are listening on the podcast, God, we ask that your great love shown in your great mercy would drive us to our knees, Lord. so that we could hear your voice. God, we pray that the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, showed the greatest divine mercy ever by leading a perfect life, dying a sinner's death in our place when we didn't ask him to, but we needed it. And then you, Heavenly Father, rose him from the dead let him walk around for 40 days revealing himself to more than 500 people showing that he had overcome death and that mercy has been secured for the sinner so father we ask now that you would show us what to bring to you and we trust that you will cover us every day moving forward in Jesus name